Well, the scripture I'd like to read together this morning is from Luke chapter 15. And you can grab the Pew Bible in front of you if you'd like to read along. This is um, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. And we're also going to talk a little bit about the parable of the prodigal son and his brother, which is 11 through 32. But we're not going to read that as well. That would get really long. That'd be <laughs> like another five minutes of reading. So. This is from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. Which one of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he had found it, when he finds it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance." Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Then when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, it's hard to overestimate the source of tension between Jesus and the religious leaders during this encounter. Sinners and tax collectors were drawn to Jesus. And as they were drawn to Him, uh, He taught them, He ate with them, and made strong moves to establish relationship with them. And the reaction of the Pharisees and the Sadducees was this. They were grumbling and said, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So the root of the conflict here is a different understanding about the character of God and God's posture towards sinners. That's the root of the conflict. The leaders here believed that sinners and tax collectors weren't worthy of God's grace, that they should be cast out despite this, uh, this self-descriptive text that God gives us when He meets with Moses. You know, the, the leaders of Jesus' day, they had this text. They knew that God had said this, but somehow, some way, they came up with a different sort of uh, understanding of the character of God. God said this to Moses when He passed before Moses. As it, Moses wanted to see God, and God said, no, nobody can see Me and live. But the Lord said, I'll pass before you. And as He did, and Moses was hiding His face, God says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousandth generation, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, yet by no means clearing the guilty, but visiting the iniquity of the parents upon the children and the children's children 
to the third and fourth generation. That last part is important to keep in there because it does help us to understand that there are consequences for sin that we don't name and repent of. And it actually is something that we pass down to our children. It's generational sin. So this is the root of the problem that somewhere along the way, the religious leaders started to assume that perfection is what brought joy to the Lord. Perfection is what they thought brought joy to the Lord. And that God casts aside sinners and lost people and embraces instead high achievers, perfectionists, the ones who can just do everything within the law perfectly. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. How could he do such a thing? Jesus' ministry and actions were intentionally done to reconstruct people's understanding of the character of God. And friends, this was a really big deal. I like the way that Brennan Manning, author Brennan Manning, adds significance to this reality that I'm naming here. This is from the book, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Excellent book. I'm not, uh, what's the word? When you steal somebody's work? What's What's that word? Plagiarizing. I'm not plagiarizing because I'm naming the author. I'm showing you the book. Okay. This is what he says about Jesus' actions in welcoming sinners and eating with them. He says, it would be impossible to overestimate the impact that these meals must have had upon the poor and sinners. By accepting them as friends and equals, Jesus has taken away their shame, humiliation, and guilt. By showing them that they mattered to Him as people, as people, He gave them a sense of dignity and released them from their old captivity. The physical contact which He must have had with them at the table, and which He obviously never dreamed of disallowing, must have made them feel clean and acceptable. Moreover, because Jesus was looked upon as a man of God and a prophet, they would have interpreted His gesture of friendship as God's approval on them. They were now acceptable to God. Their sinfulness, ignorance, and uncleanliness had been overlooked and were no longer being held against them. Through table fellowship, Jesus ritually acted out of His insight into Abba Father's indiscriminate love. A love that causes His Son to rise upon, good, upon bad men as well as good and His reign to fall on honest and dishonest men alike. Jesus makes a series of bold statements, friends. Statements of reconciliation through His actions with the lost, with sinners, and outcasts. But He wasn't done there. When He hears the grumbling of these leaders, He responds with three parables. Three Three parables, a significant amount of text here to prove his point. And they escalate in significance. First, a lost sheep who had uh, been separated from the flock because of the, because of the sheep's reaction to something, some fear, some trauma, some pain, and the sheep had ran away from the rest of the flock. A lost coin. And a coin, maybe you think differently about coins, but I don't see coins as having any kind of knowledge about their action or a sense of being lost. So that represents a, a certain type of being separated. No understanding of the significance of it. No uh, depth of, uh, of awareness. So a lost sheep, a lost coin, and then most significantly, a lost person. A lost son. Someone who had di- uh, dug a deep hole for themselves 
and he knows he's lost, and he assumes he'll be punished by God and will have to fight through the judgment of others, which he knows is true because it's his brother that judges him the most. So we see with Jesus three different parables, three different circumstances, but this is the good news. Hear this, there is one very constant thread that the joy of the Lord flows from finding what or whom has been lost. The joy of the Lord flows from finding what or whom has been lost. Listen to these three texts that kind of summarize each of the parables. Jesus says, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Then later over the coin, just so I tell you there is joy in the presence of angel, in the angels presence in the, of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And lastly at the end of the parable of the prodigal son, the father says, well, we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and had come to life. He was lost and had been found. Friends, the joy that the Lord experiences, the more joy than anything else in our life is not from our perfection. It's not from our ability to clean ourselves up and be good people or even great people. The joy that the Lord experiences is when we turn our hearts to Him and say, God, I need You. I can't do this without You. The joy is from God finding what's been lost. And the celebration that ensues. What if we saw that this was what brings, what brings uh, the Lord joy? The joy of the Lord from finding us. The joy of the Lord flows from our shift from self-reliance to reliance upon Jesus as our true shepherd. The joy of the Lord flows from our seeing ourselves as sinners who are saved by grace so that we can welcome and build relationships with the lost in line with God's mission. Jesus says in another text that the purpose of the Son of Man was to seek after and save the lost. The joy of the Lord flows from our receiving forgiveness and grace, a depth of relationship with Jesus so that we can tell others about our experience, about what God is really like. This was my experience of forgiveness with God. Our experience of the character of God. Sin is what separates us from God. It's undeniable. We saw three different reactions of what happens. Uh, and it's not necessarily that the, she- the sheep was sinning or the coin was sinning, but we see three different uh, variations. A reaction to sin. An unknowing of sin. Like we talked last week about sins of omission. We don't even realize that we're doing it. We don't even realize that a particular behavior would be sinful. That happens with all of us. Probably more so with those of us in this room is there are things that we're doing that we just don't even realize are sinful. And lastly, intentional sin. A choice like the prodigal son to take everything that had been given to him and just throw it away for his own self-indulgence. And then realizing that he'd made a huge mistake. Sin is what separates us from God. But our reaction to sin is what keeps us separated. Repentance and confession, turning our hearts away from self-reliance and towards Jesus, who is our true shepherd, that's what Lent is all about. 
That's what Lent is all about, about turning our hearts away from self-reliance and our sinful nature and towards Jesus, tuning into His voice as our true shepherd. And there is more joy in heaven, more joy in the presence of angels and celebration of new life when any of us turn our hearts and minds back to Jesus. Do we believe that today? I want to make this a little bit more relatable, okay? To think of the joy that God might experience when we are found by Him. When Jesus is relentlessly coming towards us, seeking us out, and what kind of joy it must feel like, what that joy must feel like for Him. Several years ago when we were in Slayton, I lost this ring, my wedding ring. And you know, this has special significance. It's not quite like the lost coin, but it has special significance. This was the ring that uh, our pastor that married Gina and I, you know, blessed and held up, and it's just the one that I picked out. And somewhere along the way, I was uh, playing with my dog, and all of a sudden I realized I didn't have that ring. And have you, have you ever felt that? Maybe you lost a ring or something else that had just as much significance. And I looked everywhere. I, I said, well, the last place I remember having it was in the bedroom, and I looked all around and checked different places, and for like three days I couldn't find it. Searched high and low. Do you know that feeling that you get inside where, like, where is this thing that has such special meaning to me? And so I said, well, I think it's gone. I don't know how it's possible. I don't know how it slid off my finger to the point where I have no idea where it went. I, I guess it's gone. So I ordered a new one. But I'm telling you, the new ring, even though it was the exact same size and was the exact same model, was not the same. <laughs> This one had special meaning and purpose. This one was unique. I had some sort of intimate tie in a weird way. It shouldn't be that way, but it, but it is, right? I had an intimate tie with this ring. And so even though I had a brand new shiny one that came to me like three days later in the mail, it did not feel the same. So then when, one day, randomly, I'm uh, folding laundry and sitting down on the floor and I just happen to look over and I look into the closet and up against the trim inside the closet is this ring literally leaning on its side <laughs> up against the trim. And I can't tell you the, the relief that I felt, the joy that I felt of losing what, or finding what had been lost and just the sense of satisfaction and completion and wholeness that I felt. Now, just realize this that you have infinitely more value to God than this ring. And every time that you uh, go your own way and, and God loses you, not because God is suddenly absent from your life, because you somehow, some way, turn your heart and your attention away from God. Every time that you turn back to God and God finds you, there is more joy in heaven, more rejoicing among the angels, more celebrating and partying with God and the angels, than over any one of us who would think that we are doing good enough on our own. The joy of the Lord flows from finding us in a posture of surrender and reliance upon the God who made us. The God who loves us more intimately than we can even receive for ourselves. So where are you at today, friends? Whom do you relate to most within these texts? Are you the prodigal son or daughter? 
who's intentionally turned away from God? I'm guessing maybe not in this room. I don't know about you watching online. Are you the coin <laughs> or the ring? Un- not even realizing that you're lost. Not even realizing that you're, you're not trying to rely upon God and God's grace. Are you the sheep who's unknowingly just reacted to sin or trauma or fear and just ran away from, from the shepherd and from the rest of the flock being isolated emotionally, spiritually, physically even? It's more of an, a problem, I think, in our, our time today than we had realized. Whom do you relate with most? Maybe you relate with the religious leaders who say those people, they better get it together. They better stop sinning. They better start caring about the things that I care about. I don't know. Who do you relate to most? This is a more hopeful question. What would it look like if we believed that Jesus feels joy, more joy, when we trust in His grace and compassion enough to be honest about the sin in our lives? That when we're honest about the sin in our lives and when we turn back to Jesus through confession and repentance and just the acknowledgement of sin, that that actually brings Jesus joy. How much more willingly would we look at ourselves and say, Lord, help me to see what I don't see. Help me to be honest about sin in my life so that I can step into the fullness of who You made me to be. Those religious leaders, they didn't realize that they too were sinners in need of God's compassionate mercy and grace so that they could let go of their perfectionism so that they could experience the joy of the Lord so that they could share with others that which they had received for themselves. Friends, may we be blessed today with a fresh encounter of God. The God who is merciful and gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, and willing to do whatever it takes to find us. Amen.